Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Hey, um, glad that you're here this morning. Want to go through a few kind of announcements, things that are going on. Uh, Laura Lee, is she around? Is Laura Lee? She might be busy working. All right. Okay. Just want to make sure she still comes to this church because she worked for us. So that's good. All right. She's here somewhere, but uh, the swag outreach that we're doing, you guys, I'm so stoked that you guys are getting involved. Again, um, they're an organization that works in a, a direct way uh, with the homeless in our community and not just throwing money or not just kind of uh, giving a little bit of food, that they really work with them on rehabilitation and uh, providing homes and things like that. And so that's an organization where we can be salt and light in our community. And so they're needing, uh, it's on our website, it's also on the app. Um, and so you can see all the things that are needed as far as clothing. We wanna get them ready for winter. And so uh, the big thing is, uh, Laura Lee's gonna keep posting on our Facebook page, the Amazon wish list. you guys are using that. And that's a great way um, to kind of help us and to expedite, uh, uh, expedite the process as far as um, just getting the, the clothing and things like that. So use uh, the wish list on Amazon. Uh, it'll be posted on our Facebook um, group. Uh, or you can bring it and uh, you can bring it to Laura Lee, her home, or you can bring it here and we'll pick it up for you. So we're continuing that over the next few weeks and we really want to overwhelm them. I want them to be overwhelmed. I want them to be like, stop bringing stuff. And so let's really bless them. And this is a great way as we're kicking off kind of this relaunch as a church. We're not just thinking about ourselves. We're immediately relaunching and um, thinking about others during the season. So I appreciate you guys being a, a part of that. This last week, speaking of relaunch, connection groups started back up. How many of you guys were involved? You get, yeah, you were going. Great time, finally. We had a great time. Again, if uh, that's something where we meet during the week, we have a, a Wednesday night and a Thursday night option for you. You can uh, talk to us, either Laura Lee or myself today. Um, you can sign up online and uh, we still have room. And so a uh, great opportunity to talk about the sermon, talk about Bible verses, pray, just kind of do life together. So those are just launching. And so if that's something for you, we definitely want to uh, get you involved there. Um, lastly, just want to let you know, again, we're continuing to push our app because it's so interactive. Uh, it's easy to use. Andrew's done a great job with it. And that's where all our announcements are. You can actually use a note sheet so you don't have to carry paper anymore. And so you can just write on it on your phone, um, type in it and keep notes that way. And so our instructions are on our website. Andrew made a very simple, it was like a minute and a half. And uh, you can know nothing about technology and we have 100% guarantee we will walk you through, you will be successful, all right? So we'll walk you through it, but download that app and it's a great way just to stay in touch. Uh, the sermons on the app, the notes are on the app, giving's on the app, everything. You don't have to go to a website. You don't have to go anywhere else. Everything's right there as far as when it comes to our church, as far as what's going on. So just want to give you a heads up with that. If you have your Bibles with you, again, if it's on your phone or you bring this thing called a paper Bible uh, that was invented many years ago, you can open that up. We're, get, we're in John and we're in a series called Up Close and Personal with Jesus. I talked about last week who wrote this book, why he wrote it why we're going through it. And so you can, again, listen online or you can go to your app and listen, kind of catch up. But we're going to kind of jump in to John uh, chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now, before anyone says or does anything, all of us want to know who they are, right? 
it kind of gives validity to what they're saying, especially if they're selling you something. So I don't know if any of you have had someone try to hard sell you on something that maybe it wasn't even good for you or wasn't beneficial or anything like that. And you begin to question their motives, why they're doing it right. Maybe they're doing it for money. Maybe, you know, maybe they're doing it for these different reasons. They're under pressure, things like that. Uh, but there's nothing like buying something from word of mouth, right? A friend, because they have no ulterior motive, right? They've benefited from it. You know them. You know their character. They're not going to sell you something that's bad, hopefully, if they're a friend, right? And so um, that's why word of mouth is always so important because you know the person, you trust them, and that's why in advertising they know that word of mouth is always the best way to sell something. And so, and it always will be, because you know the motives of the person, you know the character of the person, you know they're bent in making sure that they're not trying to sell you something uh, that you don't need, don't want, or is not beneficial for you. Um, this is what Christianity is all about too. Our belief is built on someone. And who that someone is is very important. Before John starts talking about all that Jesus does, right? Last week I talked about that libraries could be filled. John's like, I, 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 this is just a quick summary. Like we could go on and on with all the things that Jesus did. But before John goes into that, he actually wants you to know who Jesus is before you see necessarily what he offers. And that's what John does. John chapter 1 is about who Jesus is. Uh, Tim Keller if you don't know who he is, he's a pastor on the East Coast. Brilliant guy. He's one of those, you have those friends that they're super smart, but they don't make you feel dumb when they talk. Like they kind of dumb it down for you, right? Their syllables are real nice and short for you. They, but you know they're brilliant. They could use words that you don't know what they're saying. That's kind of like Timothy Keller. He's a brilliant pastor, but says things in a very simple blue collar way. That's like, oh, okay, I can understand that. I know what you're saying, right? And, uh, and so I encourage you, if you want to listen to amazing sermons, uh, that'll challenge you, but are very understandable. Timothy Keller, you can look him up online. He had a quote that I thought was perfect for today. And he says this about Christianity. He says, listen, as Christians, we don't have an airtight argument for Christianity. That's why any of you that took like uh, philosophy class or world religions, we try to debate Christianity like it's this airtight thing, right? And it's not. You can find holes in it and, and reasons why not to follow it maybe. But he says this, he says, we don't have an airtight argument for Christianity, but we do have an airtight person. And that's the thing about Christianity. It's not some religion that's trying to out-debate other philosophies and religion. It's about a person. It's a personal relationship. And if it's about a personal relationship, then it's about the person. That's what we anchor our faith on. Because we can ask all kinds of questions. How, well, how was it created? How did this happen? How did you really do Noah's Ark? How did he split the Red Sea? How did this happen? We can ask all these questions, but we got to go back to the person. And then those, uh, then those questions make sense. And that's what John 1 is really about. I'll be very honest. We're going to play our cards today. Is John's trying to sell us not something, but someone. He makes no bones about it. He feels like this is good for you. This is what you need. And he's going to sell you on the motive, the character, and the person of Jesus. So John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go ahead and start. He says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right from the beginning of John, we see who he's writing to, just so you know. Uh, if you've read the biography of Jesus called Matthew, he starts off with, I don't know if you ever noticed, uh, because most of us just skip it, but chapter one, what happens in Matthew? How does he start off the book? Does anybody remember? The genealogy. Why would Matthew start off with the most boring thing of like, like you're telling us the good news of Jesus, and it's like, and this person had this person, and this person had this. You guys are nodding your head like, yeah, I've skipped over that. Like, why would I read that? Do, we know, do you know why Matthew did that? Because he's writing to a particular audience. Don't forget that these, were, these words are from God, but written through men. And so Matthew was writing to people like him, Jewish people. What matters to Jewish people? If you're telling me Jesus is the Messiah, you better show his lineage and that he came from King David and that where he came from, that's like a huge deal. Now, anybody in here, a practicing Jewish person? Not very, right? We don't get that very often, right? That would actually be a big deal to a true believing Jewish person that you show that lineage. John doesn't start off with that. Why? He's not writing to Jewish people. He's writing to us, <laughs> where we don't care about lineage. So just so you know, that's why there's these variances in the book, because they're writing to a certain audience. John is writing to uh, Greco-Roman people who have many gods, very much like our culture, uh, whether people realize it or not. We worship many gods and many people. Um, and it's kind of like everybody does what is right in their own eyes. That's what it was like back in those times. And so that word, if you want to underline or circle it, if you uh, have a pen or pencil, you want to write on your note sheet, when he says in the beginning was the word, you can write this word, L-O-G-O-S, logos or logos. That's actually a big deal in Greek thinking because that word, uh, that word pretty much means to a Greek audience, it means divine reason or wisdom. And so John's writing to this audience that logos or logos is a, is a big deal. That word, if you grew up in, in a Greco-Roman home, you would have heard about it and philosophers talk about it. And what he's saying is he's making an argument to people that they don't come from a Jewish lineage saying, listen, in the beginning was divine reason and wisdom. That's Jesus. Divine wisdom and reason has always been around, and it's Jesus. And this divine wisdom and reason was with God and was God. And so what he's basically saying is, listen, all of you philosophers are seeking wisdom. You're trying to be super smart. You're trying to, to have this higher conscience. It all comes from Jesus. What you're searching for and all these mythical gods and these mythical creatures. And you got to remember back then that like Caesar and other kings, they would esteem themselves to be God. He's saying everything you're searching for, this, this God, this, this wisdom, this peace in another person, Jesus is the embodiment of it. He's defining who Jesus is. And so we see from the beginning, John is saying, listen, true divine wisdom, true Wisdom in life comes from Jesus. I'll say it this way. Jesus is the beginning and the fulfillment of all logic, reason, and divine understanding. I'm going to say this again. Jesus is the beginning and the fulfillment of logic, reason, and divine, understa and divine understanding. Which means this. When you take God out of the picture of learning, then you are actually unable to truly learn. When you take God out of the picture of understanding our earth and the sciences, when you take God out of science, they're not, just so you know, God and science, they're not combative. They're not at odds. To understand science, you need God. To understand 
people in society and sociology, you need God. You can't define those things apart from God. He is the beginning of those definition of wisdom, and he is the fulfillment of wisdom and true understanding. So we see in the first few verses that he's defining who Jesus is, that Jesus is logical, he's divine, there's wisdom there, but he also paints another picture. Again, he says, through him all things were made, um, and then again, he's taken out all the other gods in their society, the gods of fertility and the gods of you know, the agrarian gods and all that. He's saying, he's the, all these gods you worship, thousands, you're looking for, there's one right here. He's the embodiment of it. But then he goes on to say in verse 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. You're going to see this theme throughout John. Light and darkness, light and darkness. Huge theme. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that today. Light and darkness. He's using that phraseology. And again, that was important back then because they used that phraseology. And so he's saying, listen, in him was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. What is he insinuating then? If there's light, he's insinuating that there's darkness. And we don't talk about that. We talk about light all the time, but we don't talk about the other side. There's darkness. If there's light, there's darkness. And he's saying, but the darkness has not overcome it. And that's really important because have you noticed in like most movies when it comes to good and bad, have you noticed that they're kind of equal in power? In most movies, right, to make it dramatic, the bad guys or the dark guys or the dark one, you know, the, the darkness, the evil, whatever you want to call it, that they're almost winning, right? In all the movies, they're almost winning. They almost have the good guy. The good guy's almost about to be taken out. And then somehow the good guy kind of barely overcomes. And John's not painting that picture. That overcome means to demolish. It means there's no comparison. And this is important in a society that they equated demonic things and evil things as just as powerful as good. They, they saw it as equal. And that in society, that sometimes evil one, oh, and good isn't winning. And then, oh, it's kind of like Star Wars, pretty much. There's the gospel in Star Wars. For all you Star Wars nerds, you're pumped right now, right? Greatest church service ever right now. You're about to cry because we're talking about Star Wars. But it's kind of that, right? It's the, oh, oh, no, the Darth Vader. Oh, then he comes back. And, and that's what every, every movie is. You know, one side wins, the other side wins. And what John's saying is like, mm-mm. The light, Jesus, is dominant. If there's evil going on, the name of Jesus, even the demons bow down and they shudder, the word of God says. If you're experiencing evil things, there is no, there is no sense of, uh, oh, no, I'm in this battle and I don't know if I'm going to win. No, if you have Jesus, they have to flee. They have to bow down. It is not equal. And so John's establishing this light and this darkness. This phraseology also is a reminder that Jesus isn't just logical, but he's ethical. So Jesus isn't just about being logical and having divine reason, but there's an ethics that God brings to our lives. That's important because in Greco-Roman time, there wasn't a lot of ethics. In fact, the gods were kind of immoral too. So the gods can kind of, morality was kind of all over the place. So do you see he's delineating right now between the, their, their thoughts on society of God and good and evil and who Jesus is, and there's no comparison helping us understand who Jesus is, that Jesus is not just very logical, but he's also incredibly ethical. The the Bible would call that holy, whenever you read holy, right? He's also establishing that we are not born good or with a clean slate where we learn evil in our society, but we're actually born into darkness. That's why we need the light. I know for some of you parents, you struggle. You hold that little baby. You're like, no, there's no darkness at all. Just give that baby about six more months. (laughs) It'll come out, right? 
And so the Bible says, listen, we're not born with this clean slate and it's all society's fault and society teaches people how to, no, we're born with something in us. And this helps us too when I hear people right now, obviously the political debates going on, all that kind of stuff. And, and what's interesting to me is this, is we're, we're continually looking for what's the right system What's the right structure? If we just had the right system and structure, and here's the problem is, because we are all inherently evil, people will mess up any structure. Men and women, whatever structure, you could have a democracy, you could have a theocracy, you could have a dictatorship. We just ruined everything. Why? The Bible says because there's a darkness that only Jesus can overcome. That's why any of our heroes of the past, there's always a dark side to them. So you can demolish any hero of the past because there's a darkness there that only Jesus can overcome. Are you seeing how he's establishing who Jesus is right here from the beginning? Now, whenever you read about light and darkness in the, in the scriptures, um, it's explained in a few ways. In John chapter 3, verse 19, he says that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their, e- their deeds were evil. So he, he talks about that there's something in us that we actually love darkness. I don't know if you've ever noticed that even as a Christian, that there's something in you that says, why do I still want to lie sometimes? Why, even though I'm fulfilled maybe in my marriage or things like that, I still have this lust or sometimes this desire to go outside the marriage. It could be small. I'm not saying it has to be this big thing, but sometimes there's things like, why do I have this inclination? Or why, man, I, I feel so peaceful at church and things like that. And all of a sudden I have this desire for get a little drunkenness, get a little too high. Why is that? There's this battle that if we're honest, and I'm not asking you to be honest. You don't have to nod right now. Raise your hands right now. That's what connection group, some of you got nervous. Like, oh my God, he's going to ask us. I know, I know Brian. Oh, I hate this church, right? That's what connection groups are for. That's what will embarrass you. No, but it's actually good. It's not an embarrassing thing. That's where when we admit it all of a sudden, I don't know if you, like me, where when you don't know people, you tend to show up and you're like, and you just look and you're like, oh, they have it together. Ooh, no, they don't have it together. Oh, they do have it together, right? And then, and we don't want to share anything because we're embarrassed. And then have you ever shared in connection group? And all of a sudden people are nodding me like, me too. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my, I'm not the only one. Why? Because we all have that battle going on inside of us, that light and that dark. That's what John would say. But also there's an external battle that John's going to unpack. We're not going to unpack it today. But again, I've noticed, and I would maybe even say in our church, if I'm honest, but in a lot of churches, we don't want to talk about the dark. We just want to talk about the light. But you actually need both for it to make sense. And so we're going to be talking about those things in a very real, honest way. But this is what Ephesians 6.12 says. Paul writes, For our struggle is not just against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities. And I know sometimes right now you political people are like, yeah, against the rulers and authorities. Not those people, the wrong ones. You see, sometimes we pick the wrong battles. You need to read the Bible to see which are the battles we should be fighting. He says this, we are battling rulers and authorities against the powers of this dark. Just make sure that's not your greatest fighting people that God's asked you actually went over. Our greatest battle is in the unseen realm 
the greatest battle is Satan is trying to deceive people who are Christians and who are not Christians. That's our greatest fight. Thus, our greatest battle maybe is to pray more than we post. Amen. I'm getting off track, but it's maybe it's a track we needed. Okay, so the first five verses, John is establishing this is who Jesus is. He's different than the gods you've been worshiping. Now let's go on to verse 6. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning this light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to a light. Just so you guys know, there's some guys, uh, some people, his name is John the Baptist. He just calls him John here. And so it's a different John. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. He was related. And uh, he was, man, his ministry was on fire. He was blowing up. He was baptizing people left and right, going by the thousands. And then Jesus came along and he says, look at him. Don't follow me. Look at him. And he transitioned his whole ministry to Jesus. He wanted everybody to follow. He goes, I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals of his shoes. And again, I want to remind us that John knew Jesus. He was a cousin. He grew up with him. And a cousin knows if someone's truly the son of God or not. I said that last week. Someone knows if someone's an imposter. And a cousin was saying, I'm not that cousin over there. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. That's how awesome he is. Again, the people closest to Jesus validated most who he was. That's got to tell us something. That's got to give us confidence. But then he goes on to verse 9, and he says this. Now let me get back to what I was saying here. Because some of you are saying that John the Baptist was equal to Jesus. I'm telling you he's not. And then he goes back to his point. He says, listen, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's super important, just so you know. Because they believe that the gods interacted with the world, just, you know, in Greco-Roman thinking. But they believe they did it in mysterious ways. Jesus did it in an obvious way. In the Greco-Roman world, the gods would come in through circumstances and weird things, and you didn't know if it was them or not, and was that the gods, and are they judging me, and are they And so every word John is saying is building an argument here of who Jesus is. He's like, listen, the Son of God, Jesus, came into the world, but it wasn't this mysterious thing. It was obvious. He wasn't trying to confuse you. He was trying to give you clarity. Why? Because light gives clarity. And he says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. And he's talking about Jewish people. Remember, Jesus primarily came to the Jewish people. And then when he left, the Holy Spirit would come into his church, and then they would go reach the world who was not uh, primarily uh, of Jewish faith. And so it says that he came to those which was his own, but that his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, we're going to define that word in just a second, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is super important. You've got to remember in the Greco-Roman society, and actually in still a lot of societies today, whether it's spoken or unspoken, there's a caste system. We have it in our society. It's just an unspoken one. We look at what kind of cars people drive, what kind of clothes they wear, and we kind of, what school they went to. My kid went to Princeton. Oh, my kid went to Palomar. Ugh. You know? And we don't have these overt things. And if you went to Palomar, God bless you. We love you here. We love everybody. 
the Princetons and the Palomars, right? But don't we do that? But we just don't do it overtly. We kind of do it in our minds and we walk away and then we talk about it with our, you know, friends and our spouses about the other person. You know, we have the caste system and it's private. If you go to India today, they still have a caste system. When I've done mission trips there, you know who are the primarily people we try to reach? It's the untouchables. They're of such low caliber in that society that people don't acknowledge them. They don't help them. If they're on, if they're on the road and they're bleeding and they're untouchable, you don't, you don't even go near them. Still today, that's how it happens today. And those are the people that we bring the gospel to because no one else is, right? And so what he's doing is he's breaking down. He's saying, listen, born of natural descent, natural rank. I come from this family. I have this last name. This is how much money I have. He goes, listen, the kingdom of God, the caste system is wiped away. We're all equal. It doesn't matter where you got your education. It doesn't matter how good looking you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what car. We're all in the same boat. We're all children of God, all heirs equal in him. That's what makes the church so powerful. No one's above anyone else. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Doesn't matter what leadership position you have. We're all equals just playing different positions on the field. That's it. You see how he's giving hope to people that maybe don't have hope here. Giving clarity to people maybe that have been confused. What he's doing here is he's establishing Jesus' divinity before we go into his humanity. Next week we're going to talk about the humanity of Jesus, which is really important. Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time, which is a paradox. If you try to think about it too long, you're going to just drive yourself nuts. You're going to need medication. So don't think about it too long. But listen, he was full, not 50% man, 50% God. The Bible says he was 100% God, 100% man. And we're going to unpack that. Before we talk about his humanity, today it's his divinity because he wasn't just an, another dude. His words mean more because he was God and no one else around here is God. So his words carry weight. Who he is matters because what he's selling us, he can back it up. He was fully God, full light. And what's amazing is his motives and purposes are established. He came to be received. And to all who receive, not a select few, not those who are especially enlightened, not those who go to Bible school and really figure out the Greek and the Hebrew, then you can receive God. Not if you have a certain education, not if you grew up in a certain kind of family. All. Circle that word. All. Anybody. But Brian, my background, the things I've done that I've never shared with anybody, my emotional state, my mental state. Brian, sometimes I can follow God and then I go off I just leave it for three days and I'm on fire for God for three days and then I'm on, you know, yeah, all to who receive him. Now, what does it mean to receive and what does it mean to believe and what does it mean that he gave the right? I want to look at those words. The first one when he says, all who receive him to those who believed, you could circle and underline that Greek word. That Greek word believed actually has specific meaning. It was actually used in a court of law. That Greek word means to compel or persuade. It means, yet to all who receive him, to those who were persuaded or compelled by the argument of Jesus that gave their lives to Jesus. There's a persuasion that takes place to follow God. Are you persuaded by who Jesus is? Are you compelled that the argument that Jesus is the son of God, completely light, died, rose again, your sins are 100% forgiven? 
And this is what I mean by persuaded. Because some of us, we're not persuaded. We like Jesus, but we're not persuaded by Jesus. And this is what I mean. That we pray the prayer, we get baptized, we're super stoked, but then we live as if he hasn't forgiven our sins. We live in constant guilt, we live in constant shame, we hide, we sin, we run away from the church, we run away from him. And here's the thing, what your life shows is you're not persuaded that all your sins are forgiven. You're still acting like you need to win his favor. You're not fully compelled, persuaded that when God says, I love you, I created you, I want the best for you, that I want you to pray, I want you to seek, I want you to ask, I want to give, I want you to knock, the door will be answered. We, we, we live as if it's like, ah, I don't know if I buy that argument. And that God is actually against me and not for me. So what happens when bad things happen? We almost believe in karma. Well, maybe God's judging me because last week I wasn't a very good Christian. I yelled at my kid, and I know I shouldn't yell at my kid, and I keep yelling at my kid. But man, at three, they drive me nuts, you know? But what happens then is you feel guilty as a mom or as a dad. And then all of a sudden you think that God doesn't love you. And then if, if I feel like I'm not going to talk to someone a lot if I feel like they don't like me or love me. And maybe for some of us we feel like, well, God has to love me because he's God, but he just doesn't like me. You haven't been persuaded. Are you persuaded that God loves you so much that Jesus came, left heaven, came here, walked on earth, proclaimed all these things so you could clearly understand, went to the cross for a crime he did not commit, died because he is divine. He died because he's human. He's divine, which means he resurrects because you can't keep someone down that's divine. And that he lives today and he's alive and he loves you and he's thinking about you and he has plans for you and plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Are you persuaded? Because the Bible says, if so, then you're truly receiving God into your life. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe are compelled and persuaded in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That word right, exousia, means power or ability. God gives you the power and the ability to be a child of God. That's what that right means. That right is not a right like, you know, some kind of a legal right. Like, okay, I signed a legal document. Now, you know, like I adopt you legally, even though that, that happens. But what he's saying is I give you the right as far as now I'm going to give you the power to be a child of God, to live as light as God lived as light. You have that power. You have that ability that is given from God. It doesn't come from you. It comes from him and he gives it to us. My question today is, have you received Jesus? Have you received him? Have you been persuaded? And you haven't just prayed a prayer, but you've given your heart and your life to him. And, that, and here's what I mean is, you're now living as a child of God, not a child of someone else. Yeah, you have parents, but now you have a greater parent. Someone who's going to now you trust. Someone who you listen to. Someone who you run to, not away from. Someone who you allow comforts you rather than you trying to isolate yourself in shame. This is what it means to be a child. Nobody has a child and says, okay, now I'm going to ship them off. I'm going to be born. Ship them. No, I have a child in order to love, to nurture, to guide, to invest in, to build into. And I'll sacrifice and I'll do anything. I'll give up money. I'll give up time. For women, the beautiful thing of pregnancy is I'll give up my body that which is most precious to me to bear a child and no matter the toll on me to be able to produce life. And this is the mindset. This is the heart of God, but you have to receive.
There is someone in this audience that this is their favorite donut. More than one. More than one person. Oh my God, it smells so good. My stomach just rumbled right now. Uh, I feel like you're judging me right now. And I wasn't going to eat it, but now I might eat it for the illustration. And just silently look at you as I chomp on it. Jeez, if you're watching online, this is a judgmental group, man. No wonder, no wonder you're at home. I'm going to invite my daughter up, Evie. Everybody welcome up my daughter, Evie. Yeah. Evie, is this your favorite donut? I know this because uh, we don't do it as much anymore. We do it a little bit. But we used to do uh, daddy-daughter dates, and we'd go to the donut shop. She loved it. She, so she had a blast, and she would get all kinds of donuts. And this is one of her favorites. Um, so I'm going to give this to her, and what is she going to do if she's going to receive it? What are you going to do? Well, yeah, you're going to hear. But if, if, you, if I'm going to drop this, what are you going to do to receive it? What do you have to do? Catch it, yeah. Put your hands out. Okay. Now, before you begin to eat it, I know you will tear into that, and everyone's going to look at you. Now, here's the thing. Has she fully received this donut? Not yet. She has a donut, but she hasn't fully received the donut. When she fully receives it, what is she going to do? She's going to eat the donut. Do you want to partake right now before you, you want to go back to the table and partake? All right. Let's give her a hand. Thank you, Evie, for being up here. By the way, you can use that for communion if you want to break pieces off. And, you know, maybe Jesus will multiply it like the loaves and everybody could have a piece. Here's what I want to illustrate as we wrap up today. As we go into worship, because the songs really speak to it today. I think some of us today, and I want to challenge you guys with this. As I was praying about this sermon, my heart was burdened for you as a church. I just want to be very straight. My greatest fear as a pastor is two things. And so I'll relay these to you now. I'll be honest with you. One is that Jesus said, many will do great things in my name, but away from me I never knew you. So my greatest fear is that I'd be good at being a pastor, but I'm not a Christian. My greatest passion is that I know Jesus, not that I'm a great leader here. Because I don't want to stand before Jesus. And he goes, yeah. Yeah, people were impressed. You did this, you did that. I don't know you, though. Which signifies you could be in ministry. And by the way, ministry leaders, connection group leaders, is a warning for all of us. You could be great at church and be completely unknown by God. I've seen many men and women do it. So that's my greatest fear. I want to be a church that the leaders know Jesus and do, they love Jesus more than they love their ministry and their church. So that's my greatest fear, okay? Um, my second greatest fear is this, is that some of us think we're following God and we've received him and we're going to stand for Jesus and he doesn't know us either. Because of this, we accepted Jesus as far as we put him in our hands, but we've never received him. We've accepted Jesus, we've never received him. We accept him as God, we accept him as a savior, we accept him, but we've never received him. Jesus says, I don't want you to accept me, I don't want you just to like me, I don't even want you just to worship me, I want you to receive me, which means you partake. And that's what it means to be a child of God. That you take in whatever God has for you, and you digest it, and you mull on it, and you allow it to affect your body. You allow Jesus to be the nourishment of your soul. You allow Jesus to walk with you. You allow Jesus to truly change you, your mind, your heart, 
your lifestyle, the way you do money, the way you do relationships, the way you prioritize your time, the way you view church, the way you view other people, the way you view your friends, the way you view your enemies, the way you view politics, the way you view school, the way you view everything. Even my job, my job is a missions field, not where I'm primarily to make money. My marriage is primarily to give my spouse back to God in better shape than I found her, not to be self-fulfilled. My friends, it's not primarily to watch football, even though I do like it, but it's primarily to be a light amidst the football that they see Jesus, not just some fanatical fan. Am I making sense? Some of us have Jesus in our hands, but we've never truly received him. I encourage you during worship to think about that. Is Jesus the light of your life? Do you allow him to bring clarity to your thinking? Do you allow him to bring morality to your living? Do you allow him to be your parent where he comforts you, he can rebuke you, he can discipline you, but you know he loves you. And you allow him to give the good gifts that he wants to give to you. Receive him into your life. That's why John's writing this book. If that's something that you've never done before, you've done, you're like, oh my gosh, like I've received Jesus. I'm a fan, but I'm not a follower. I'm a guest in his house, but I'm not a child of God. The Bible, says that, the Bible says it's a simple decision of the heart that says, I receive you as far as your blood has forgiven all my sins. I'm no longer going to walk in guilt and shame. The Bible knows you're going to sin again. In fact, John wrote later on, check this out. In 1 John, he wrote another book too. It's called 1 John. He says this. He says, listen, this is the message we declare to you. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, it says, God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. There's nothing. There's no ulterior motives. There's no bad bone about him. There's no darkness at all. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And then he goes on to say this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us at all. So to go in shame because of your sin, feeling bad about it, God says, don't live a lie. I know. That's why I went to the cross. So to receive Jesus means I'm forgiven and you paid the penalty for my sin and I receive that and I appreciate that and I'm going to live as a free person now in constant appreciation that it's God that freed me and now go live as a child of God. And what does a child do? A child looks at the parent and they talk like their parent they walk like their parent. They do relationships like their parents, which is scary for some of us as parents right now. But Jesus says, go ahead and do that with me. Walk like I walk. Treat people like I treat people. Forgive like I forgive. Serve like I serve. Love like I love. Prioritize like I prioritize. Worship the Father like I worship the Father. And you'll truly be a child of God. If that's a decision you want to make today, the Bible says it's a decision in your heart in your mind. It's a cognitive decision. You don't have to get the chills. You don't always have to cry. But that might happen because you're stoked. If that's a commitment you make today, we would love to know. We have communication cards on the back table. Can you just let us know or shoot us an email? Laura Lee or myself, let us know. And we'd love to walk with you about what it means to continue that journey to be a child of God. But right now, let's just worship a God who is so good, who is so pure, who is so kind, who is so revealing. We don't have to guess who he is like the Greek gods. And he's consistent and he's ethical and he's logical and he loves you. Jesus, we worship you now. And you're such a good God, and this is why we worship. John wrote this, Jesus, because so many people, they, they were afraid of the gods. Even Caesar would proclaim himself to be God, and he was erratic, and all the Caesars were erratic. 
and it made it scary to follow God. But you reveal how much you love us. That's so much that most gods ask us to sacrifice ourselves and you're a God who came and sacrificed himself for us. So I pray that we would be a church that we receive your forgiveness and it doesn't give us license to go sin, but it makes us stoked not to sin because we're forgiven. But when we do, we know that we have an advocate who goes to the Father saying they're forgiven. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. That we can live as free people and that as we live as light, Jesus, that other people would be attracted to you. That we would live in a way that people say, who is in you? Who is with you? Who do you know? Because you're so logical. You're so ethical. The way you do things is so appealing, God. So speak to us now as we worship. Speak to us now as we take communion. Speak to us now as we make a commitment to live in the light. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com. 